Hello everyone, welcome to C-Suite Talks. Here we speak with industry leaders, introducing you to some of the most interesting people and businesses today. We are focused on women, money, and power, as well as diversity in all areas. I'm Diane Gubin, co-CEO of C-Suite, along with... Hi, I'm Beth Helbing, co-CEO of C-Suite, and today we're so blessed to have Katherine Jerkins with us. She's the Chief Business Officer with Uncle Nearest, and also a sponsor of C-Suite, and a personal friend, and we love having her today. Catherine has over 20 years in the hospitality and food beverages services. She has a proven track record of building and growing new and transitioning teams of all sizes while driving top line revenue and customer engagement. So welcome Kate or Catherine today to C-Suite Talks. Hi, thank you. You can call me Kate since we're friends. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> so tell me how you ended up in the spirits industry. Yeah, it's quite. it was uh, quite an interesting journey, but um, I started my career off in hospitality, food and beverage, and then hotels, and ended up meeting our current CEO of Uncle, our CEO and founder of Uncle Nearest, Von Weaver, uh, in my 20s. Uh, we were both uh, salespeople at the Viceroy in Santa Monica, which was a fun hotel, and at that time was brand new. Um, and she and I stayed connected all these years. And several years ago, 2015, when I was still um, in the hotel world, she came to me on a project she'd been working on. Um, I left the hotel business, started working with her, and about a year later, she discovered the story of Nearest Green. And from there, um, I joined her on this project uh, to honor the first known African-American master distiller and to start, um, yeah, to launch this whiskey company with her. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. That is really awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Shows, it shows those connections go stay deep, you know? They do. They do. So, you know, you worked in the beverage industry before the hotel industry and what was like, and how did that like feed into you being able to do this as the chief business officer now? Yeah. I mean, I've had um, the, you know, since I was in my early twenties, I've had a, quite a bit of experience in, um, in hotels working um, mostly, uh, well, I started with food and beverage, but then working in hotels in the sales and marketing side. And all of those hotels um, were mostly boutique properties. And so I worked until I started working for Starwood. And so in those boutique properties, there's a lot of hands-on that goes there. So if you're the director of sales and marketing, you're not just doing sales and marketing, but some days you're helping the front desk. Some days you're taking reservations. Some days if they're short, you're doing catering and all of the things. So um, I think in that you know period of time in the hospitality world, I was able to get um, so much experience on you know all aspects of hospitality. And I would say hoteliers, if you meet at a lot of them, you know, look, hotels don't close; they're twenty four seven. We work a lot of hours. We work hard hours. We deal with. Um, a lot of different personalities. So not just like really, not really what I'm talking about with like work, but like customers. Um, and you learn to be around and to um, maneuver lots of different situations, which has been extremely helpful in uh, this new career in spirits. That's wonderful. So how did you meet your connection to Uncle Nearest and what made you decide to make that change in career? Yeah, so Fawn and I knew each other way back when, and I think we both had a mutual admiration for how hard we worked. She worked on the event side. I worked in more corporate sales, um, and we just stayed in touch for years and years, and I always watched her. She, um, you know, worked in hotels but always was doing other things and is an entrepreneur um, and, you know, 
was a New York Times bestselling author and just, you know, continued to stay in touch and watch her from afar. And uh, over time, we kind of reconnected. We both loved the same yoga and spin studio. So we'd see each other quite a bit. Um, and so when she approached me for another opportunity in 2015, I was at this point where I was working a ton of hours. I had two small children. Um, and the, the current project she was working on was something I was highly interested in in the world of fitness. Um, so I took that leap. Um, and then luckily, you know, that was really fun. It was great. But as that started to sort of like transition, she had read the story of who nearest green is and had gone to Lynchburg, Tennessee. And I'm, I'm fast forwarding a lot, but ultimately decided that she was going to launch a whiskey company. Um, and she came to me with that proposition to which I answered, I drink Chardonnay, um, (laughs) but let's do this. And we just kind of went from there. So from the time she read that book in June, or sorry, the read the article, about Nearest in June 2016. Um, we took us about 13 months, but then launched in July of 2017 and haven't looked back since then. That's fabulous. That is fabulous. And for anybody not familiar with the story, Beth, maybe we can just briefly tell us the story. Yeah, I think that would be good. Sure. So yeah, so um, so briefly, so in June 2016, there was an article in the New York Times talking about um, a man named near mentioning a man named near screen. Fawn was reading this article and wondering who this guy was. It turned out he may have been the mentor to a great America, uh, uh, you know, the founder of a great American brand. And she got very interested, ordered all the books, did all the research, couldn't really find much on him. So she ended up in Lynchburg, Tennessee about three months later, where she um, started to uncover the story of, of who nearest was and what his contribution was. The long story short on that is that Nears was an enslaved man in the 1800s working on a farm owned by a preacher named Dan Call. Dan Call was uh, utilizing Nearest on his farm to make whiskey because Nearest was known as the best whiskey maker in the area. Around that same time, the 1800s, a young boy moved onto the farm. He was a chore boy for the preacher named Dan. Um, He came from a family of 10 kids. He was the youngest. His mom had died shortly after childbirth. And so he was making a name for himself and kind of out on his own at a young eight or nine years old. Over the course of time, he gained loyalty with Dan. And one day, Dan introduced him to Nearest and said to Nearest, teach this young man everything there is to know about making whiskey. And to this young boy, he said, Nearest is the best whiskey maker I know of. And thus began their relationship and their mentorship. This young boy ended up being a great little marketer. He was out selling whiskey. He was selling whiskey to soldiers during the Civil War, even though that was a no-no. He was tiny. They figured He figured he wasn't going to get shot. Um, <laughs> and as he kind of continued with that relationship, Eventually, Dan, the, the preacher, had to give up um, the distillery, the, the, the still, and he um, had, you know, had this relationship now with this young boy, sold him the still. Um, Nearest was the, now a free man. We're now post-Civil War, um, and this young boy hired Nearest to be his first master distiller alongside um, Nearest's sons as well. In or around 1884, we believe Nearest put his last whiskey in a bottle and retired. And at that time, this young man moved his operation um, inside Lynchburg, Tennessee. He brought some of Nearest's um, sons with him as well. And Nearest's story just sort of was lost in time around that that in that moment. Um, and this young man turned out to be the namesake of a great American brand, Jack Daniels. So that New York Times article was all about a slave having been the hidden ingredient to Uh, Jack Daniels. And so Fawn was so intrigued by that, et cetera, on this journey. And what we found is that, you know, Jack was 
a mentor. Jack was mentored by Nearest, that Nearest was a mentor to him, but they also had this really loving, respectful relationship. You know, and even post Civil War, when Nearest was and could be a free man, he still chose to work for Jack. And in fact, Jack paid him like he would have paid anyone else. Um, and Jack was really, um, really one of the first signs of allyship in that area and, and continued to be so. Um, and to this day, there's still Green family members that actually work at the Jack Daniels Distillery. Um, our goal with starting this company, Fawn founding this company and starting this company, was to honor the legacy of Nearest that had been lost in time. And without his contribution, um, which really was he was taking the whiskey and he was uh, filtering it through charcoal, through sugar maple charcoal. And that was taking out, it made it a little less hot and it gave it a tiny bit of sweetness. And it was just different. And that process of uh, filtering through charcoal came can be traced back to West Africa. So without that process, what we consider Tennessee whiskey today would not be Tennessee whiskey. So we owe a lot to this godfather of Tennessee whiskey. That's fabulous. It's so intriguing and so wonderful. Yes, for sure. And now you're a woman in this industry, you know, which in the spirit industry where there's so few women, let alone at the very top. So, you know, I want to congratulate you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. We'd like to see a lot more of us. <laughs> So what are some of the lessons you think that you've learned through your career that have been able to take you and convulse you to these different paths you've taken? Yeah, I think first and foremost, and this is, you know, all retrospect, but just knowing the people are always watching you, right? So, you know, your actions on a daily basis in the office, what you're doing, how hard you're working, that um, people are always watching. And so people you might not think could ever end up being your boss or may not, you may not know where they might end up in life. They are watching and they are taking note. And I think it really, it's, it is a lot about your character and about how you carry yourself on a daily basis. And so I'm grateful for being in my twenties. I mean, I was a wild child too, and was still having fun, but during the work hours, I, I worked and did well and was successful. And then, you know, it, 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 over time, that's really, that's paid off. I continue that work ethic today. Um, but I think that's the biggest piece is just remembering how you um, present yourself on a daily basis. There, there always is somebody watching. Especially in the social media world. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh yeah. And I didn't have social media back then. <laughs> yeah. No smartphones and no social media when all that was happening. I'm so glad, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so are my parents, I'm sure. I agree. I agree. And I about the roadblocks because honestly you know what I know you've had roadblocks whether they're in your career or at Uncle yeah. Nearest right now you know what are some of the roadblocks and had you overcome them yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the most most recent would be just starting in, when we were launching and trying to find distribution and kind of coming out of the woodworks and people not knowing who we are, we were. And, you know, we didn't look like the face of whiskey or the face of spirits. It was, you know, women coming up asking for distribution. It's women talking about this brand that's being launched and, and people didn't understand that. Um, you know, we, those roadblocks came in the form of simply not responding to emails or phone calls. Um, and we finally, you know, Fawn is the one who said it. Finally, we used Keith, her husband. One day she said, we got to lose our pride. And she said, Keith, these are the people, you know, she gathered a list of people who weren't responding to us and Keith reached into every one of them and they all responded to Keith. And then he quickly introduced them to us. It, it, that's so amazing. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think we've come a long way in the last six and a half years. I'm seeing a little bit more, you know, hope in the spirits industry, but it really was. I mean, the spirits industry wasn't founded in, a, in any diverse manner and it's still not to this day, um, but we're slowly breaking down those barriers. But I think that's the that would be the most recent. I mean, my entire career though, um, even in hospitality, I think hospitality has done better, um, but you know, it's not a super diverse um, industry and like women tend to be in 
XYZ role meant to tend to be the general managers and the CFOs. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of, um, you kind of, it just felt like all the women were on the sales side and marketing side. Um, and so those, I remember leaving when I left Starwood, which is now Marriott years ago, they had just started an executive leadership program and were really trying to get more and more, you know, executive level women into general manager and, and executive roles because they could see that, that there just weren't you know, it was, you know, the early signs If you don't see, if I don't see visible females out there in positions above what I'm doing, is this, is there a role for me? You know, is, is there something for me? I was lucky enough to have worked with two, two women during my hospitality career that were both GMs and they were very inspiring for me, uh, but not everybody's had that. And, and I, I didn't see that uh, throughout my entire career. Huh. That's unfortunate. Well, let's talk about the money. So, you know, Uncle Nearest, this is posted, so it's public knowledge. Your sales exceeded $100 million through October 2022, which is amazing. Yeah, thank you. Do you think part of the, the key to that success, like I know for C-Suite, you've done such amazing partnership with us, and we've done these whiskey tastings for our women. So to me, you are just hitting a totally new group because honestly I had never really had whiskey except you know smelling and turning out my nose right except for Uncle Nearest which I can drink. So Yay. What, what do you think what do you think propelled you to this hundred million plus that you're at right now to the point where you're, you even have a venture fund? Like what's brought you there? Yeah, I mean look there's so many. I think this is what I talk to my sales team about all the time. We have so many stories to tell. Um we're telling the story of the most you know of the the um <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, of the first known master distiller, just totally the what thing that goes in my head every single day just what escaped me for a moment. You know, the first known master distiller, um, the first known African-American master distiller, that's huge in its own right. We're telling the story of the godfather of Tennessee whiskey. And then we're also the most awarded bourbon or American whiskey from 2019. So 19, 20, 21, 22, and this year, 23 um, you know, we're female led, we're African American female owned. Like there's so many things to tell and so many, you know, reasons to support us. Um, I, you know, one of the things I think we've been really, really uh, strategic about is really looking at, um, a full demographic, meaning like people are like, who's your demographic? Like, I wouldn't say it's like women in their forties or men in their seventies. Like we truly want to be a whiskey for everyone. We're targeting people who we call light premium spirits buyers. So people who are buying one or two bottles of premium spirits or more a year, that's who we're targeting. And I think that's been really, um, really important. I also think there's a lot of authenticity to what we're doing. Um, you look at our press, our press is, you know, I, I calculated last year when I was talking to some of our distributors, we had at least four or five press mentions every business day for the entire year last year. Um, and those are everything from podcasts to print to online media. So there's just so much authenticity in that and the awards because those awards are all people blind tasting. Um, so all of that, I really do um, believe has propelled us to where we are. And, and I think people, I know actually, people want to see us succeed based on everything that's been done and doing this as a private company, which is truly unheard of at this point in this industry. Yeah, no, it's fabulous. Right. So were you self-funded or did you get venture funding to start? Like, how did you get the funding to scale? 
Well, yeah. So, I mean, when Fawn came um, came up with the the ventures um, with Uncle Nearest Ventures, it really was it was all about um, finding um, BIPOC and female owned brands that we wanted to help and catapult. Um, and so, it was very easy for her to get that funding. We have incredible investors and incredible people that want to get on board with that. And so, um, those that she's taken on so far are incredible brands, and they're doing really well. And our hope is later on down the line, you know, we will be able to do more of that. That's great. That's great. So how have you been able to leverage your expertise to empower and support other women in the industry? Um, you know, I think it starts just um, just lo- like locally, I guess, with my team is, is you know, we have a really diverse team. Our team looks like America. I, I hope that um, I am, I can be um, somebody, I, I feel like I'm somebody that, that our team can come to and that I can talk through any, you know, anything like that with the women on our team and the men, quite frankly. Um, I've always put myself out there um, to be any type of mentor or support. Um, you know, when we launched our initiative, our, um, we have we have so many different like little things that we do as a company that are actually big things because one of our key tenants is to pull as we climb. And so a portion of what Fawn and I spend time on is what we call our Black Business Booster, but it's not really a Black Business Booster. It's more like BIPOC and female, but we really have these like we I consider my phone like a bat phone and um, I answer the calls of a lot of people that are starting companies, the spirits companies or that are in it. And I share all of my learnings and I can share all of the like roadblocks I came against. I can show, share some of the failures and the things I didn't know in those first couple of years. And I'm always willing to give that time. I think it's important. I wish I'd had somebody, I mean, I guess in retrospect, I'd wish I'd had somebody, but it was actually a great experience for me to learn all that on my own. But I love to be able to share all of that. Um, with others as well, so that they don't have to go down quite as rocky as a path as I did, or they can at least take out a pebble or two. Right. And you also have a family to take care of and children, and then you travel and all of that. And so you must have a wonderful support mechanism with your husband and others to be able to do that. Oh, yeah, he is. He is the team. It really is the two of us. And then um, our three kids and uh, there's a lot of calendar balancing and a lot of conversations and a lot of thank yous that come from me, but I'm really grateful for that support. He's very, very hands-on and our kids are getting older. It becomes a little bit, um, a a little easier. Our daughter's 15 and a half. We're like, (laughs) where's that permit driver's license next year? Can you get yourself to soccer? You know, these kids all play a million sports too. We're like, if she could just drive herself to soccer three nights a week next year, that will take, you know, it'll, take a little burden off, but every one of my kids has crashed my car (laughs) over the years. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's the other piece. I'm like, do I want that? Do I even want her behind the wheel? (laughs) But um, yes, very, very lucky. Um, It is really, it's the two of us and these three kids and we all make it work. And even the kids are supportive of, of, of the travel and of, of all the efforts. And they're really proud of it. I mean, it's hard for children to wear pre- Uncle Nearest premium whiskey stuff, but they still carry the water bottles to school or put it on their backpack. And <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, you know. So far, being okay. Yeah. So, what are you? What are you up to now? What's What's your next focus for the end of the year? Do you have anything special you're promoting, or what? Are, what do you got going on? Yeah, I mean, it, this is the busiest time of year for spirits companies, right? Mostly, we are we tend to be also just as busy in January, February, March, which I can tell you why. But right now, it's all about the holidays. We are we have a big sweepstakes that we're running right now to bring people out to our distillery. Um, we have this website we've built that's coming out any minute now with holiday cocktail recipes, 
holiday cards you can send people from Uncle Nearest, all sorts of things, ways to cook with Uncle Nearest, which, you know, there's plenty of people that don't drink, but there's a lot of people that also like to support the brand. And so um, there's ways to cook with Uncle Nearest so you don't have to drink it and you can still get a little flavor and the alcohol's burned off. So we want to make sure we share that with folks. Um, and then we'll kick off the beginning of the year with our HBCU challenge. So um, again, another piece, another tenet of our guiding principles, pulling as we climb. Um, in the first quarter of the year, we do this old-fashioned challenge. So any bars or restaurants or stores, but really the idea is bars and restaurants selling old fashions. For every old fashioned with Uncle Nearest, they sell, we'll donate a dollar towards this fund for HBCUs. Um, and, you know, we're supporting the top 50 HBCUs in 2024. Wait, HBCU. What's an HBCU? Oh, HBCU. Yes, West Coasters. HBCU is a historically black college and university. There's not a lot of them here on the West Coast where we're based, many more in the South and in the East. Um, but we are trying to bring light to that. I don't know if anyone's watched, you know, Deion Sanders when he was the coach at Jackson State. He brought a lot of light to what HBCUs are, and um, he's now in Colorado. But it's been a real eye-opener. There's been some great pieces on um, 60 Minutes and others where they talk about the importance of these historically black colleges and universities, um, which that not people don't know enough about, and they don't understand enough of what the amazing people and talent coming out of these colleges and universities. So we really want to support them and continue to bring um, in them into the forefront as well. So that's another really fun thing we're working on. Kate, are these scholarships you're supporting? The money we're giving is going directly to the schools because the schools are historically very underfunded and um, they, they can use this funding. And so um, U.S. News and World Report does the, you know, a top list. So we, um, the first, number one on the list is Spelman, which is actually an all-female HBCU. So we give them um, the top, we give them 10% of, of that 1 million. And then we split it up. Um, we start to split it up between the other schools, but um, it's really uh, something we started last year. We got um, an amazing response from it and we're just looking forward to, to much more. And, and truly what I've learned here on being living in Los Angeles is that people really aren't familiar with HBCUs. And so it's been a really um, good learning as well for, for a lot of folks and, um, and learning how they can contribute as well. No, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. And we're going to be promoting on C-Suite some of these things as well on our website. So we appreciate that also. So as we look to kind of close down the podcast, uh, what are you personally going to focus on this year for you, for your balance that you do between your corporate and your personal life as you wrap up the year? Oh, balance. Yes. It's little things right now. And honestly, my little thing right now is making sure I take my walk every single morning and stay healthy and sane in that way. It helps me clear my head. I love listening. I don't listen to a podcast that's that complicated. I'll listen to the daily every once in a while, but like just to, to walk for an hour and be by myself and to just take care of myself, especially as we get into the end of the year. Um, that's what I find keeps me grounded. And I happen to be taking off on Sunday for two nights, which sounds crazy, two nights in Hawaii with some of my best college Yay. buddies. This is all I could pull <laughs> off. But we have a they have a house in Kona and it's we don't have to pay. So I'm getting on a plane and going for two days. So little things like that make all the world, all, all the difference in the world. Awesome. It does. And you'll enjoy swimming with the turtles. <laughs> There we go. Yes. There we go. Well, we want to thank Catherine Jerkins for being with us today, Chief Business Officer with Uncle Nearest. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors, Uncle Nearest, of course, female-owned spirits company, uh, Google, City National Bank, Manette, a law firm, um, Interpublic Group, Advertising Media PR, and Amplified Professional Services, which is an executive search and IT consulting. And so, Diane, why don't you bring us home? 
Right, so wrap us up. Hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you find your podcast. Be sure to leave us a review, a good one. And do follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. And we love hearing from you. Send Beth an email. Okay, she loves that. So Beth at C-Suite.org. And of course, check out our website. Become a member, www.c-suite.org. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you all. Appreciate it.